When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Thoughts from a Page podcast, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each episode I interview authors about their latest works and others in the book world about their jobs, what those jobs entail, and the books that they love. For more book recommendations, check out my earlier episodes and my website, thoughtsfromapage.com, and follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. I recently posted two interesting bonus episodes to my Patreon account. First, for my indie bookstore series, I interviewed Alana Haley at Schuler Books in Grand Rapids, Michigan, about her store, how it went viral on TikTok, its place in the community, and the fact that the store is also an indie publisher. For my Bookstagrammer series, I chatted with Deb Coco of At Lone Star Words and Kathy Starnes of At K Starnes about their accounts, the process of writing reviews, and then we followed it up with a deep dive into Southern literature. Thanks to the fabulous people that have joined my Patreon group as page turners. I am thrilled to chat books with you and greatly appreciate the support. If you have not joined yet and want to learn more, the link is in the show notes. Thank you as well to the wonderful individuals who have shared about the podcast recently on Instagram. Kelly of Kelly Hook Reads Books, Virginia of Virginia's Reading Life, Nana of Read the World Better, Deb of Lone Star Words, Kathy of K Starnes, Becky of Becky on Books, Mary of Homegrown Book Picks, Kristen of Kristen's Reading Nook, and Yvonne of Yo Books and Things. I really appreciate your sharing it and helping more people find the podcast. Thanks to Maggie Garza of HTX Real Estate for sponsoring my podcast. Today, I am chatting with Christy Woodson-Harvey about Christmas in Peachtree Bluff. Christy is the New York Times bestselling author of nine novels. She is the winner of the Lucy Bramlett Patterson Award for Excellence in Creative Writing and a finalist for the Southern Book Prize. Christy is the co-creator and co-host of the weekly web show and podcast, Friends in Fiction. She also blogs with her mom, Beth Woodson, on Design Chic. Christy lives on the North Carolina coast with her husband and son, where she is always working on her next novel. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Welcome, Christy. How are you today? I am so great. Thank you for having me, Cindy. I'm so excited to be here. I always love chatting with you, so I'm so excited that you are here as well. Thank you. So this time around, you have a Christmas book, which I can't wait to talk about. Why don't you give me a summary of Christmas in Peachtree Bluff? Well, I am so excited for Christmas in Peachtree Bluff to come out. I just have to say that very first. It is the fourth book in my Peachtree Bluff series, but it's actually been three years since we last saw the ladies of Peachtree Bluff. So if you have never read any of the other books in the Peachtree Bluff series, it's totally fine. You can definitely read it as a standalone. But if you have read the rest of the books in the series, you know, I think it will be a nice way to kind of get reintroduced to the town and feel like you're right back at home in Peachtree Bluff. But one of my favorite things about this book is that I introduced a new protagonist in it, Vivi, who is Caroline's. Caroline is one of the the sisters in the series, and Vivi is her 15-year-old daughter. And so she was so much fun for me to write because She's in those sort of angsty teenage years and maybe not making her best decisions. 
the book opens with Vivi's bad behavior, getting herself, her grandmother, Ansley, and her step-grandfather, Jack, stuck in Peachtree Bluff, which is an island, during what has been dubbed the storm of the century. Um, It's a big mega hurricane that is coming toward Peachtree Bluff. They were not planning on staying, so they have not provisioned well. As a person who lives on an island and has made it through some hurricanes, you want to provision well, because when that hurricane comes, you know, no one can get on the island, no one can get off the island, and you need to definitely be prepared for that. So the three grown sisters in this story, Caroline, Sloan, and Emerson, have evacuated Peachtree Bluff, and they know it is up to them to rescue not only their family, but also to rebuild Peachtree Bluff just in time for the holidays. Well, how did you decide to return to Peachtree Bluff? It was kind of one of those beautiful marriages of a lot of things that I think sometimes happen. First of all, so it was it was like sort of the depths of COVID. It was our, our COVID Christmas of 2020 when I was just kind of feeling down in the dumps a little bit just because I thought, you know, I'm a big tradition person. I love holidays and I knew like we weren't going to be able to have our big family Christmas and, you know, there were no parades and we couldn't do the tree lighting because it was too many people gathered and, you know, we couldn't do the claws crawl because you couldn't have people in bars and, you know, all of those things that like we normally do during the holidays that are so fun that kind of tick off those days. A lot of those things were being canceled. And of course there were no big Christmas parties and, you know, all those things. And so I thought, would it be fun if I wrote a Christmas book and I wrote the Christmas that I wished that we were having? And after that, going back to Peachtree was kind of an obvious choice just because I had been getting flooded with requests for more Peachtree Bluff. And so the the books are slightly south of Simple, The Secret of Southern Charm and The Southern Side of Paradise, and that they came out in 2017, 18, and 19. And so, you know, after the series was over in 2019, I did definitely get some requests for more peach tree. But then something about the pandemic, I got so many emails from people saying, I just reread this the series and oh, please take us back to Peach Tree Bluff. And, you know, I felt so safe and happy. And I just I really want to go back to Peach Tree Bluff. And I thought, I want to go back to Peach Tree Bluff too. What are we doing? Let's go back to Peach Tree Bluff. <laughs> and so I actually pitched the idea to my editor not really knowing if you know she was going to think this was a good idea or she was going to say yes. And the funny thing was, is she was like, I think it's a great idea, but it was so close to the holidays that a lot of people on the board were already gone. So they couldn't like make me an offer on the book. And so she said, you know, if I were you, I would just wait till everybody gets back from Christmas and just kind of see what happens. But I was like, no, I mean, if I'm going to write this book, I need to write it now. Like I want to write it in real time during the holidays as all these things are going on or supposed to be going on. And so in that way, it was sort of a leap of faith a little bit because I, you know, I didn't really know what was going to happen, but I just knew that I wanted to write this happy holiday book with, you know, if you've been to Peachtree Bluff, there's plenty of drama. There is. And that's what makes a great story. (laughs) Well, what about being back there? Like, what was it like returning, writing the story now? Did you feel like you were just right back there? Did it take a little bit to get back into the groove with it? Do you think you'll continue writing them? You know, it was so funny because I had been thinking for a couple of years that I wanted to write a story about a big storm ever since Hurricane Florence came through North Carolina. I thought, you know, I really want to write. We evacuated and we were gone, but we had a lot of friends that did not evacuate. And the storm was even worse in some ways than they thought it was going to be. And the island was closed for longer than they thought it was going to be. And 
people were running out of stuff. Like we had friends that were like paddling to our house to get, you know, water and cans and and vodka. I mean, (laughs) they were running out of supplies. So that's really, really scary. And so I knew that I wanted to write a story about, you know, a, a family that gets stuck on an island during a hurricane for whatever reason. And I knew in the back of my mind that had to be a Peachtree Bluff story. But it was like, as soon as I sort of put that Christmas element in it too, I was like, oh, this is the same book. And that happens to me a lot is you'll have an an idea or two ideas that I think are completely different ideas. And then I'm like, oh no, these are actually the same story. But oh my gosh, this book just, it was like once I sat down to start writing it, it just like poured out. It was like the easiest book I've ever written because it just you know, when you already already knew the town, I already knew the characters. I sort of, in in some ways, knew these sticky situations that I was going to be putting them in. Of course, a lot of that evolved as I started writing. But yeah, I mean, it was like, it was like going back and, you know, there's a best friend that you haven't seen in two years and you sit down and you're just immediately, you know, back to that place where you were. It felt just like that. Oh, that's good because I think it could go either way. You could have been away from it for long enough that trying to get back into the groove, you've written other books, you're kind of thinking ahead to some of the new things you're going to be doing. And so then to kind of go back there could either be like you just said, reconnecting with the best friend or oh my gosh, I have nothing in common with these people anymore. And you know, I think what, what was interesting too was coming back, you know, a few years later after being away from the series. And, and you know, at that point I had written Feels Like Falling Under the Southern Sky and I'd already finished The Wedding Veil, which is my 2022 book. So, you know, you're right. Like I definitely was removed from this series in some ways. But what was kind of cool about it is because time had passed, I wasn't exactly going back to the precisely same place that I left or the same characters because just like, you know, hopefully I've changed and grown and evolved over the past three years. So had they. Yeah, that makes sense. So that you're taking them to a new place as well. Are you going to continue writing about Peachtree Bluff? You know, (laughs) one thing always leads to another, doesn't it? So yes. um, as soon as I finished Christmas and Peachtree, I was like, oh, I know what the next book in the series is. I mean, it just, it was like a very obvious situation to me of like, oh, here's the next story, which is funny because when I finished the three books, I thought, no, I'm really finished with this. So, you know, the, sh- the the long and short of it is I don't know. I haven't talked to my publisher about it. I do know, you know, I do know The Wedding Bell is coming out in 2022 and I do have a good chunk of what will come out in 2023 written. So if I do write another one, it won't be for a couple of years, but I kind of like the idea of that too, you know, just being able to revisit this family, you know, every now and then. And I have so many things that I want to write that like, I love Peachtree Bluff and I love writing Peachtree Bluff, but I wouldn't want to just write, you know, 14 more Peachtree Bluff books in a row because I feel like I have so many other stories I want to tell. Absolutely. So you can just drop in on them periodically. Yeah. Well, I really liked the format of this one, the multiple points of view. How did you decide on that? And how was that for you? Mm. So that was probably the hardest choice that I had to make in writing this story. And obviously one of the first choices because, um, you know, who's going to tell the story is a pretty big deal. I knew that I wanted to write from the point of view of Ansley. She is the mother in the Peachtree Bluff series. And she had been a protagonist of all three of the previous books. And I felt like she's kind of our, I mean, there's not a narrator to the story because it's all written in first person, but in some ways she is kind of our She's our glue that holds this family together. So I knew that I wanted to continue to have her point of view in the story. 
And I knew that I wanted Vivi, who is Ansley's granddaughter and Caroline's daughter, just for something fresh and fun. And I just thought, you know, writing this teenage character would be kind of a fun challenge for me. It was exciting to get to write about like not only that stage in life, but also those kind of like that first kind of like real crush. And, um, you know, she, she meets this boy in Peachtree Bluff and just writing that was so fun. And there was like such an innocence about being able to write a love story from like that point of view. So I, I was really excited to write her. And then I knew coming into the story that Caroline was going to have something going on in her life that really affected everyone and really sort of set the story in motion. So she obviously had to be a main point of view character. So when I went into it, I thought, well, maybe I'll just do the three of them. But then I thought, well, no, because Sloane has this going on. And I, you know, I really need to hear from her about that. And Emerson has this going on. And I really need to hear from her about that. And I thought, you know, forget it. I'm just going to write them all. (laughs) Let them all tell their stories. And, And I thought, Originally, I was like, I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to have all their points of view because if you haven't read the series, that maybe is too many points of view. But then, you know, it's one family. And so even though you're seeing the story from different points of view, it's one continuous story. Hopefully, you know, if you haven't read the series, it's not, it's not too confusing. But if you have read the series, I think getting to hear from all of the women is probably sort of a welcome idea. I always like multiple points of view stories because I feel like different things come out from different people. You know stuff that not necessarily all of the other characters know. It's just a great way to to bring a story to life. Well, and I mean, you know, in general, I mean, like the wedding veil that's coming out next, it has four points of view. And um, Under the Southern Sky had four points of view. That was a little bit, probably a little bit trickier because, you know, I was inventing those stories from scratch. But going into a book where four of these POVs, I knew very intimately well. It just felt like the natural step. That makes sense. Well, what about writing a holiday book? I mean, did that differ at all for you? Yes, it did. You know, and originally I thought, well, it's a holiday book and, you know, it has sort of a short, it'll have sort of a shorter lifespan and maybe I'll write a novella. And then when I got into it, I was like, nope, nope, this is a full book. (laughs) We've got to tell this whole story. I think that I thought about it. I approached it in a different way. Like I knew, you know, I'm a happy ending person. I love a happy ending. So that that's kind of a given. You know, I knew obviously this was going to be a happier book, but I think I framed this book a little bit differently. And I thought a lot more about, you know, what are the events that are taking place and what are we doing here? You know, you'll really see in the story there scenes are sort of surrounded around, you know, the flotilla, which is like the boat parade that goes down the water and Santa being rowed into town on the rowboat and and everyone gathering by the Christmas cottage to have hot chocolate to greet him. You know, all of these things, like, and even the end of the book, like all of these points of view and all of these things kind of converge around this single moment, which is the Starlight Starbright Festival, which is actually the only So just for people who read it, just for reference, the Starlight Starbright Festival is the only thing that I made up. Everything else that happens in the book is something that actually happens in Beaufort, North Carolina, where I live, which is where I based Peachtree Bluff off of. I wondered, I thought all these fun holiday things, and I was curious what was real and what you came up with. Well, actually, so we're having, 
every year our historic site has this Christmas candlelight tour in Beaufort. And it's like four or five days of just festivities and fun. And people come in from all over the place to like tour houses and everything's you know lit up with candles every night and all the houses downtown. And um, it's just really fun. And so we're doing the Christmas candlelight tour is going to be Christmas in Peachtree Bluff, which will be so fun. And so we're doing all these fun events around it. But we did, we really did think, okay, should we try to create this Starlight Starbright festival that, you know, everyone goes out in these like kayaks and paddle boards. And anyway, you'll, when you read it, you'll see, but um, it's a really kind of fun thing. And we were like, maybe we should try to recreate it. And then I was like, I don't know. It just seems like a lot. (laughs) It did sound like it would be a ton of fun. And I love the name of it. I think it would be a ton of fun, but I think it would also be kind of complicated. So, but then I'm like, is that a cop out? So we'll see, you know, we might stay tuned. We could end up doing the Starlight Starbright Festival before it's all said and done because we have a lot of very ambitious people around here. (laughs) Well, that would be a ton of fun. Well, what about Friends in Fiction? That has just continued to blossom and bloom and grow. What's happening with it lately? Oh, gosh. It has just been the greatest just joy and blessing and wonderful thing to happen, you know, through the last couple of years. And, you know, I we didn't know when we started. Um, well, for those who don't know, I'll kind of give some background. So Friends in Fiction is a Wednesday night um, web show and podcast. It's on Facebook and YouTube and then on podcasts later that I do with Mary Kate Andrews, uh, Patty Callahan Henry, and Kristen Harmel. And it's just so great. We started it during the pandemic, at like the very, very beginning of the pandemic, like during the shutdown. We all had books coming out and all of our tours had been canceled. And we, you know, thought we'd do it once and then we thought we'd do it for seven weeks. And now I think we're you know, I don't know, 18 months in or something crazy. So um, every single week, we either have we either have a just us episode where we talk about, you know, something pertinent in the writing world, or we have a guest. And we've had some just incredible guests. Our very first guest was uh, Kristen Hanna. She was so great. Our guest last week was Kwame Alexander, who was just fantastic. But we've just had some really, really incredible authors this year. We've had Emily Henry, we've had Jasmine Guillory and Britt Bennett. And like just everyone, like I'm like drawing a blank, but we've just had everyone. We just had Wiley Cash, who was so fantastic. My launch episode is October 27th and Richard Paul Evans is going to come on. I'm like, talk about the king of the Christmas book, right? Absolutely. Oh, that will be so neat. And the other thing I love about Friends in Fiction is that you have such a wonderful community. So your events are fabulous on Wednesday nights, but also I have learned about books that I wouldn't know about. I enjoy seeing people's discussions about book club books and historical fiction or whatever it is they're talking about at the time. It's a really great Facebook community. Oh, it really is. And I I think that it's it's interesting because we really started it. I mean, of course, to support each other and, you know, help our book launches, but also to support independent bookstores because we're not having events and what are all these independent bookstores going to do? And their their doors are closed and all that. So that was kind of how we started. But I really kind of feel like this group has evolved into something much bigger than we ever could have imagined. And now it's really become about this fabulous group of readers who just show up, you know, they just show up to talk about books. And we really try to keep it like a very positive space. And I think we need those places. I think we need places that we can go on the internet now where people are talking about something that they love and they're happy and they're not arguing. You know, I, I think we need those enclaves. I need them. So 
it's just been wonderful. It really has. And you guys are even traveling together, aren't you? We are. Yes. So this is going to be just, it's going to be a really, really great tour. So we are leaving, well, I'm not exactly sure when this is going to air. So, but I am, I'm actually leaving October 18th is my first event. And that's just in Salisbury, my hometown. So it's just for me. And then Mary Kay and I are going to be at Patty's launch on the 19th of Once Upon a Wardrobe in Savannah. And then we'll all be in Beaufort together the next day. Um, and then Kristen's joining up with us in Florida. And we have four events with the four of us. And a lot of it's Mary Kay, Patty, and I all have books coming out kind of like right now. So we're doing a lot of events together. And then Kristen's joining joining us for a few of them. And it's going to be great. Like I only probably have like five or six events on this whole tour where I'm like totally by myself, which I mean, you know, I love to get up behind a podium and, you know, go on and on and all those things. But it's so much fun when you have, you know, a friend who's with you and you can chat with and be in conversation. And it's just always really fun. Like the the things that end up coming out of that. And then, you know, back to friends and fiction, I think that's what's been so fun about that is that, you know, all of these things come out of these conversations that um, we never could have expected. So it's really great. I think that's exactly right. It's much more fun to be in conversation with somebody than it is to be up there by yourself just talking alone. Exactly. It really is. Well, I have enjoyed it and I'm so happy to see that it's continuing. Well, thank you. What about what's coming up next for you? So I keep talking about it like it's the book that I'm promoting, but I am really excited. The Wedding Veil is coming out uh, March 29th, 2022. And this has been a weird year. Like I feel like I've had like triplets, but I'm like bringing them home from the hospital at different times or something (laughs) because Under the Southern Sky came out April of 21. And then of course, Christmas in Peachtree Bluff is October of 21. And then The Wedding Veil in March of 22. And you know, when I when I decided to write Christmas at Beach Street, I thought, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have two books out this year, but it this is gonna sound insane, but it just didn't really occur to me like, well, yeah, that's true, but it's really three books if you're talking about a 12 month span. So it's definitely kind of crazy, but I so it's like they're all lumped together in my mind because I've been working on all of them simultaneously for this, you know, these past this past year probably. So it's kind of funny. Um how that happens. And there are like some some weird similarities that have ended up kind of taking place in the books. But The Wedding Veil is actually my first historical contemporary novel. And it, it's about Edith and Cornelia Vanderbilt, who uh, Edith was George Vanderbilt's wife and the first mistress of Biltmore House in North Carolina. And Cornelia was their only daughter. So they were really interesting to write about, but it was kind of funny how this novel transpired because my husband has this wedding veil that has been in his family for a long time. And like all the women in his family have worn it. And a bunch of my sister-in-law's friends have worn it. And I wore it when we got married. And then um, my cousin was getting married in the mountains and I was her matron of honor. And I was putting this wedding veil on her head that, you know, so many women that I knew had worn. And it has just kind of become this symbol between like friends and family and and all of these people of just kind of like good luck and just like passing on this tradition, not necessarily just with family, but with people that we love and, you know, care about. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is a book. You know, I'm going to write a book about all of the women who have worn, you know, this wedding veil, not necessarily this real wedding veil, but a wedding veil. And so I called my agent and I said, I have this great idea. And she was like, oh, I love that idea. And she called me back and she said, what if you wrote about a real historical wedding veil? And I remember thinking, I remember saying, yeah, what a good idea. Like in kind of that way that I was appeasing her. 
you know? <laughs> yeah, like, sure. Sure, sure. Because um, in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no way that I'm going to find a real historical wedding veil worn by a woman that I am interested in, enough in to spend the next year researching her life. Like, that's just not going to happen. So a few months earlier, you know, back to hurricanes, that's how it all comes full circle. When we evacuated for Hurricane Florence, we went to Asheville. And we took our son, Will, to the Biltmore Estate for the first time. And I had been a million times before. But you know when you're a kid and things just hit you in a different way. And then even when you're sort of used to something, things hit you in a different way. And so for some reason, that was the very first time that I really thought about the fact that George Vanderbilt died not terribly long after Biltmore was finished being constructed. And he left behind a very young widow, a 13-year-old daughter. and you know, not having planned for any of this to happen, all of his money was left in trust to his daughter and she didn't receive it till she was 25 years old. And so I started thinking, how did Edith Vanderbilt, this woman, like in a time when women couldn't even vote, how did she keep the largest house in America going on what he left her, which was, you know, a nice amount of money, but certainly not enough to keep a house like that going. And so it was just something in the back of my mind. And I thought it would be cool, like, Someone should write a book about her. Was kind of what I thought, you know. Someone should write about Edith Vanderbilt. <laughs> and so, when my agent said that, it was actually a couple weeks later, and you know, things sort of like marinate in your brain a little bit. And I was just up one night; I couldn't really sleep, and I started thinking about Biltmore, and I started thinking about Edith, and I just googled Edith Vanderbilt wedding veil on a total whim, and found this story about how the family wedding veil that. Edith wore, her sisters wore, her mother wore, her grandmother, and then her daughter Cornelia wore it, and then it disappeared. And I was like, okay, well, that's obviously a story I'm going to have to write. (laughs) What are the odds? I mean, that's just really, really cool. So cool. I mean, it, it really, there were so many things that happened kind of along the path of writing this book that kind of kept me going and kept me thinking like, oh, I am supposed to write this book because it's a big responsibility to think about you're telling these women's stories who, you know, and with Edith and Cornelia, there's not a ton left behind. There wasn't a ton for me to draw on. So I sort of had to, you know, imagine their lives in a, in a big way. But yeah, it just felt like a story that I was supposed to tell. And so what I came up with was this contemporary historical novel about this, this modern day grandmother and granddaughter, and then Edith and Cornelia. And, you know, it's kind of my answer to, to what happened to the Vanderbilt Vale. But more than that, it's really about um, these women in these very different time periods who are facing these really similar obstacles, but in completely different worlds. You know, that's funny that you mentioned that about Edith Vanderbilt being saddled, because effectively she was saddled with the Biltmore. Because I had visited a lot when I was younger. I went to law school in North Carolina and, you know, we would come and go and visit it always because I love it. But when I visited it recently, when my daughter and I were touring for her college visits, I was the same way. I kind of really learned and thought through the aspects that he died so quickly after it was built. And then, you know, she was kind of left with this place that I'm not even sure she was all that thrilled with in the beginning. And then she had to try to keep it going in the middle of nowhere is what it was then. You know, of course, it's not now, but I mean, away from family, away from friends, very hard to get there. That had dawned on me as I was older as well. And I mean, I think the Vanderbilt's kind of had a history of building these huge places that then no one could keep up with, particularly in this instance, when she was left with very little to help it go. Well, and, and, you know, and that's sort of the irony of the whole story is that, you know, they all made fun of him. They called it George's folly. Like who would have built this house in the middle of nowhere? 
And in the end, it's one of the only Vanderbilt mansions left standing. It's still standing, exactly. Yeah, so, um, I mean, she went to, and then even, you know, obviously for narrative purposes, I mean, my story only runs from like 1913 to 1934. But even after, even after my story ends, the hoops that Edith continued to jump through for years and years and years, I mean, until her death, to keep this house going. I mean, it just boggles the mind. <laughs> you know, it really does. It truly does. And I'm so glad she did. Me too. But it's like you said, I mean, this wasn't even something that she really wanted. I mean, she wasn't involved in the planning of it or the building of it. I mean, she was not even super thrilled about, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to live in North Carolina, you know? So, well, good. Well, I cannot wait to read that. That just sounds fantastic. I'm always enthralled with the Biltmore and the Vanderbilts and everything. And I love your books. So I'm excited for that one. Thank you. Well, what about what you've read recently that you really liked? Okay. So I just finished The Santa Suit by Mary Kay Andrews, which is just so great. It's a novella. So it's, I feel like it's perfect for the holidays um, because you can just sort of like fly through it and like, it doesn't, it doesn't take up too, too much time. But it is just, it's such a charming story. It's so Mary Kay. There's like a mystery at the center of it that honestly, I wasn't really expecting. I think she's like downplayed that part of it. But there was this really fun mystery that's unfolding throughout the story. So it definitely like it keeps you flipping the pages. And anyway, it was a great story. And then um, I just finished Once Upon a Wardrobe by Patty Callahan, which is just a beautiful story. It's I think when I texted her, I said it's the kind of book that like breaks your heart and then puts it back together again. It really is. It's about a, a sister who has an ill little brother and she he wants to know where Narnia came from. And so she tracks down C.S. Lewis to figure out where Narnia comes from. And it's this really fun like push-pull in the story because she is this brilliant um, scientist and her brother is so fascinated by story. And so to her, she's like, story's not important, story doesn't matter. But throughout the course of the story, she comes to realize, of course, that story does matter. So it's a, it's a really it's a really great book. I loved that book so much. Just such a beautiful story. It really is. I actually just started last night um, Gervais Haggerty's new book in Polite Company. And it is great. Like I'm like three chapters in, but I'm like really hooked. It's about like old Charleston society and this kind of younger member of this new generation of Charleston society who's sort of like blowing the lid off of things a little bit. But it's it's great. It's really interesting. Her characters are really well formed. So I mean, it's her debut, so it's always fun to read a debut. Oh, okay, good. I was going to say, I don't know that author, but that's why. Yeah, it's a debut. It's a debut, and it just came out, like, maybe September, so it's it's pretty new. Okay, good. I'll have to keep an eye out for that one. Yeah. Christy, thank you so much for coming on the Thoughts from a Page podcast. I always enjoy chatting with you. Oh, I so enjoyed it. I always love chatting with you, too. It was such a treat. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. If you like this episode, and I hope you did, please consider joining my Patreon as a page turner. Follow me on Instagram at Thoughts from a Page. Tell all of your friends about the podcast and rate it or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would really appreciate it. The book discussed today can be purchased at the Conversations from a Page bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. Thanks to Maggie Garza for sponsoring this episode, and I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi there, I'm Heather Drago. And I'm Sarah Saunders. We host the podcast, That's a Hard No, about saying no and setting boundaries. So you can become that true and empowered you that this world needs. 
Saying no isn't just okay. It's the key to living an authentic, fulfilling life. I'm a licensed professional clinical counselor, so while this podcast is in no way a replacement for one-on-one therapy, I suppose I know what I'm talking about. I'd say so. We talk about learning to say no and set healthy boundaries and how it impacts mental health, physical health, relationships, parenthood, and more. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit our website, hardnopodcast.com. We're here to help you find your no and say it unapologetically. That's a hard no.